for faith and practice, God's words, the scriptures. One of the earliest examples of this uh, someone being comforted or people trying to comfort this one, uh, we find in Job uh, chapters 4 through 14, in which three comforters come to him to uh, attempt to bring him a sense of uh, comfort and peace and rest in the midst of all the trials and troubles and tribulations that Job was experiencing. Uh, They did little to bring him comfort, and Job, uh, in the end, determined that God was his only comfort. From Genesis to Revelation, we hear God speaking words of comfort to his people. As those people go through times of discomfort. Let me propose this to you this morning. God does not want us to be comfortable. God does not want us to be comfortable. But... He wants us to be comforted. Comforted in Him. In His Word. For if that's all we had left in this world, He wants us to be comforted in the knowledge that He is with us and He will never forsake us. We read in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Over the centuries, there have been people put in situations that seem unimaginable. Even at the hands of the church, before the Protestant Reformation, there were people who suffered in unimaginable ways. And you know where they found their comfort and peace? It was in God's Word, in knowing His promises. You might be familiar with a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. In it, it gives the history of ever so many people who were put to death by so many different ways because of their stand upon the truth of God's Word. Before the Protestant Reformation, or just as it was beginning, and Martin Luther nailed to the castle doors of Wittenberg, October 31st, 1517, there were pockets of Protestant resistance to what was at that time the established church. And in the Netherlands, there was this movement, 16 Protestants. There, having received sentence to be beheaded, a Protestant minister was ordered to attend their execution. 
The gentleman, it was said in Fox's Book of Martyrs, performed the function of his office with great propriety, exhorted those to be executed to repentance, and gave them comfort in the mercies of their Redeemer. Well, as soon as those 16 were beheaded, the magistrate who was overseeing this execution cried out to the executioner, there is another stroke, he said, remaining yet. You must behead the minister. He can never die at a better time than with such excellent precepts in his mouth and such laudable examples before him. You see, even in the midst of what we think is horrendous deaths and executions, these people found comfort. In our text today, the disciples have been following Jesus for almost three years now. They had seen Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, give sight to the blind, feed thousands. They had heard Him proclaim that He was the bread of life, that he was the light of the world, that he was the good shepherd, that he was the, the gate to the sheepfold, that he was the resurrection and the life. That he who believes in him would live even if he dies. And everyone, he said, who lives and believes in me will never die. And he asked that question, do you believe this? Knowing all this, hearing all those things, the disciples were still fearful still unsettled, still discomforted. They knew what was going on in Jerusalem. They had a sense of what was about to happen there. They had heard Jesus speak about His own demise, His own death. They had heard Jesus talking just that very night about the betrayal of one and the denial of another those among the disciples, and they became unsettled. They became afraid. Peter's question back in chapter 13, we're going to get to this in John 14 here, just a second. What precedes this, these words in John 14 is Peter's question in chapter 13, verse 35, where he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus' response to him is, where I go, he says, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. These words in John 14, beginning at verse 1, immediately follow that context. Turn with me, if you will. To this chapter in John, John 14, verses 1 through 15. As Jesus says to his disciples these words that are before us today, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Well, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The grass withers, flowers fade and fall. But these words of our Lord God endure forever. Heavenly Father, almighty, gracious, good and loving God. Oh, how we long to hear the sound of your voice. May we do that this morning, Lord as you speak to us by way of these words, that we may be comforted in your presence, both now and forever. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus tells us that in the midst of difficulty, midst of trials and troubles and tribulations, that it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. John's message is this. It is all about Jesus, the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand, the one who is our God. He comes to us redirecting our overwhelming concerns with our situations in this world, with the things of this world, to direct our thoughts to the very message of God. We read at the end of John, John chapter 20, verse 31, that all these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. That's just not eternal life, although it does speak to that. It is life now. Comfort now. Have you ever been worried? None of you worry. None of us worry, do we? Have you ever felt uh, a tad bit insecure? 
Have you ever wondered how you were ever going to make it through just another day? Or even the next few minutes? Have you ever felt really uncomfortable about what God may have been asking you to do? Maybe you feel those ways right now. Jesus gives those listening to him reasons that those who follow him, those who by faith are joined to him, that we can trust what he says, even if it leads us to a place as we live out our lives of faith before God, leads us to a place that is not personally comfortable. He wants us to be comforted. When our hearts are discomforted, the Scriptures tell us, Jesus tells us three things here. That He's going to get us to a safe place. Not only is He going to get us there, tell us directions about how to get there, He's going to take us there. He's going to stay with us along that journey. And He's going to turn what we may view as troubles, trials, and tribulations into something that is glorious. Let's look at those three promises. Jesus is going to get us to a safe place. We live in tornado land, don't we? The spring, inevitably those storms begin to come as the warmer air meets the colder air that we're experiencing right now. And we see that in the fall often as well. In the reverse, turbulent weather. And we're told that before those storms come to be prepared, that we need to have a safe place in our homes, in our workplaces, in our businesses, and know where that safe place is and know how to get there. Finding a safe place to weather the storm. We look at those first four verses in John chapter 14 and notice that three times in those three verses, we see that word place. Look back with me. Don't let your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, insinuated there, to take you to that place that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus says, He is our safe place, our refuge and our strength. As I prayed today from Psalm 46, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Oh, that was speaking about God talking before Jesus had come into this world in Bethlehem. Jesus, we know, is very God, a very God. 
He is our safe place, our refuge and strength in time of trouble. He says, put your trust in me because I am. Remember those words. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am the one who was there at the beginning of creation, who spoke and all things came into being. Jesus says, put your trust in me because I am sent from God and I will take you to this safe place. And we may look at this passage and may hear this passage and often I have even preached this passage at funerals. Comfort. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, because in my Father's house, he says, are many dwelling places. We may look at that passage and think, well, Jesus is talking about heaven, and agree that he is talking about that ultimate place where those who are in him, by God's grace through faith, will end up for all eternity. He's saying he's going to prepare a place for us, where our Heavenly Father is. This is true. The place has been prepared for us, even now. I want to go to heaven. Don't you? But not right now. Yeah? Maybe not right now. I don't want to go today. So how does all this help me with trials and troubles and tribulations today? See, the disciples were confronted with that same issue. They may have believed that Jesus was there, He's going to take them to that place called heaven. They believed in the resurrection, but not today. When Jesus speaks these words to these disciples that evening, they were no different from us. They weren't thinking of going to heaven that day. Someday, but not that day. So how do these words help? Well, let's see where that place is that Jesus is talking about taking them. We're told by emergency management teams that we need to have an escape plan. Not only do you need to have that safe room, that safe place, but you need to know how to get there. I mean, what if your house is filled with smoke and you don't know uh, the, the orientation of things? You're totally disoriented and you're trying to get to that safe room, to that door that will lead you out in the midst of all that smoke. Well, you need to know without hesitation how to get out, how to get away. Or how to get to that safe room. And Jesus says in verse 4, You know the place. You know the way to that place where I'm going. And in verse 5 we read of that one Thomas, often referred to as Doubting Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to get there? And that's when Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. See, like Pilgrim in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, we and those disciples were on their way to the heavenly city. 
But along the way, there are trials. There are troubles and tribulation. And Christian, pilgrim, uh, in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, the Christian began to, to gird up his loins and to address himself to his journey that was going to be long and arduous. And he said to the interpreter at the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress, the interpreter said to him, the comforter will be always with you. Good Christian. To guide you in the way that leads to the city. This is what Jesus is saying. The comforter. I may leave you, but I am going to send one, a comforter to you. The Holy Spirit to you that will lead you and guide you and direct you along the way. You and I are on the way to that place. To the celestial city that Jesus has prepared for us. A safe place where nothing will harm us or even threaten us. No more sorrow, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. No more discomfort. The old order of things will have passed away and the new will have come. It's the Father's house and we will be at home there. But in the meantime, what does Jesus say to who? His disciples, while we're still on that road to the ultimate place, Jesus tells us, though it may be hard at times, though it may be difficult, we don't travel alone. He doesn't stand here and say, go and give us a map about how to get there. He wraps us in His loving arms and He, in a sense, picks us up and takes us there. He shows us the way because He is the way. And we are on that way. We do not travel alone. If by God's grace through faith you are trusting in Him, you are in Him. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, If you have been crucified with Christ, let these words grab you. If you have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, you who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Here is the one who is Emmanuel, God with us, teaching us, leading us, guiding us, even through the valley of the shadow of death. He says in Matthew 28, 20, teaching his disciples to observe all that he has commanded them. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's telling us that he is always with us. Jesus is very careful here to make sure that we know that He will always be with us. These things, He says, I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world 
gives do I give to you. So do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. See, where there's trouble and fear, where there is an overwhelming sense of the world impinging upon our lives and even our thoughts and those things we do, we are discomforted. Jesus says, the storms in our lives may be brewing all around us. He is the one who brings us this comfort. And in that comfort is peace. And in that peace is a sense of settled rest. No matter what's going on in the world around us. He's going to get us, he says, to that safe place. And in the meantime... He's never going to leave us and never going to forsake us. He is the way. He is the truth. He is our life. He is the way in the sense that the Old Testament uh, Scriptures served as uh, fingers pointing to Him, as copies and shadows of the heavenly things that were to come in Jesus Christ. Pictures of the salvation that pointed to the reality that is Him. The truth that Jesus brings, that Jesus is. He is that truth. He is the real thing. Remember years ago, there was that, uh, that slogan for a, uh, a soft drink. It's the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. He is the substantial thing. He is the ground upon which a Christian's faith moves. He is the fulfillment of all of the Scripture's All of the scriptures are about him, for it is all about Jesus. He is the life, because the life, the Father, is constantly present in the ministry and the words of Jesus himself, and those who are in him receive that life. We don't have to wait for heaven, we receive it now. And we share that life with him. He is the only way to the Father. You heard that phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Well, there's many people today that say all faiths lead to the same God. And you know, I got to thinking about that. And in a sense, there's a seed of truth in that. If every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, then every faith, even those that are not Christian faiths, even those who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, guess where their road leads? It leads right there for them to bow and kneel and acknowledge that there is one true God. There is no other mediator. There is no other way into the presence of God the Father. Are we exclusionary if we believe that? Yes, we are. Because the Scriptures say that. The Bible says that. You know, you cannot get to true heaven through Muhammad, through the way of Buddhism, through Shintoism or Taoism, 
Not the way of great sophisticated religions, Mormonism, any other ism. It's only through Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. There was a man by the name of Thomas Akempis. I'd highly recommend this. Uh, not, a, not a big book. Uh, really a short uh, book that is titled The Imitation of Christ. He was from the Netherlands, by the way. And he wrote, actually a couple hundred years before the Protestant Reformation, these words. He said, without the way you cannot go. Without the truth you cannot know. Without the life you cannot live. I am the way which you ought to follow. The truth which you ought to believe and the life which you ought to hope for. So in answer to Thomas's question, how can I come to know the Father? The most important question we can ask is Jesus points to Himself and says, it is only through Me. Only through Me. Because it is all about Me, Jesus says. And unless you come to the Son by God's grace through faith in the Son, you cannot come to know the Father as He knows the Father because outside of Him there is no place of quiet rest because it is not near to the heart of God. But there's one more thing that's here as Jesus comforts those who are uh, living in times of discomfort or troubles by being with us working in us and through us, showing us the way, leading us the way, He does something else, something that we may not expect. He says, I am your safe place. I am the way to that safe place. I am working in you to get you to that safe place. In the world, there's trouble and discomfort. But even discomfort has a purpose. Think about that. Even discomfort has a purpose. In a world where it's all about me. And you can point your finger back yourself and say those words. It is all about me. Not me. Although sometimes I think it is all about me. And every one of you sitting here can say that same thing. We sometimes get so focused on the problem instead of the purpose of the problems that God has decreed in which all things come to pass. We're looking, in a sense, in this large uh, museum at, a, at a, a painting, a picture, and we get down and we focus on a little bitty corner of that picture. You know, there's a reason that museums have huge spaces with no furniture, but maybe a, a, a settee or a, a chair or something. And, and you have to get back to see the big picture. We're in that museum looking at the corner, thinking it's all about me. We're looking at that little corner of the whole picture instead of stepping, stepping back and seeing the big picture. At James... 
puts this in perspective for us when he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect, that is, complete result, so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. In marriage and family counseling, we're, we're taught uh, when you're counseling a, a, anybody that is having difficulty, maybe they're focusing on themselves or a little part of the problem, there's a technique that is called reframing. Viewing a situation from a, another perspective. Taking the picture and putting a different frame around it. Putting a different frame around the picture instead of seeing something as a difficult situation. See that situation as God working in you both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. Instead of seeing that situation as a, as a disturbance, as an annoyance, See it as God sanctifying you. Making you into what He desires you to be. Reframe those troubles and they become, in a sense, victories. They become triumphs. They become glorious workings of God in you. Truly, truly, Jesus said, verse 12, I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works that I do... He will do also, and greater things than these He will do, because I go to the Father. When we reframe the trials and the troubles and the tribulations, the difficulties you're going through right now are not simply all about you. I mean, even, I believe, to the point of they may be there to sanctify you and to make you holy, but God is using them not only to do that, but to enable you to help others who may be going through the same difficulties and the same problems. What if the difficulties you're going through right now are not simply all about you, but are designed to remind you to get your eyes off of yourself in order to prepare you to help someone else? Would that make those disturbances in our lives a little less disturbing? Would that make those troubles a little more worth it? We began today, I read part of this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 1, because it seems to uh, draw together what we're talking about here with comfort and discomfort Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, Discomforted. It is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope, Paul says, for you 
is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. So you're out there. Life's doing what it is good at doing, pushing you around. You may even feel like you're about to get crushed in the squeeze of the crowd. But Jesus is going to get you through. He's going to take you to a safe place. He's going to to stay with you as He gets you there along that journey. God is not going to ask you to go through something to experience anything that Jesus has not first experienced for you. In life or in death. For Jesus said, the works that I do, he will, you will do, and greater works than these you will do. What better thing is there than making your trouble double as triumph? Instead of weighing you down, lifting you up so that you can go out and do ministry and comfort one another with these words. How do you do that? You refuse to waste your sorrow. You take the adversity that you're coping with right now and you put it in a sense in the bank and someday you're going to draw interest on that and you're going to give away what Jesus Christ has given to you. You're going to pay it forward as the phrase goes today. That comfort, that salvation that you have received and all your discomfort is designed to enable you to do great works as you plant the seeds, the gospel, the message of hope and comfort and peace and rest to those who are experiencing any affliction because you've been there. And God has seen you through through Jesus Christ. You're going to be able to comfort someone else because you yourself have been comforted. Think of the men and the women over the the years and the centuries who've invested their lives in proclaiming the gospel and who have been persecuted for that gospel message. There was one, George McKay. I was introduced to on my first trip to Uganda by Dr. Penny. Oh, not the living McKay, but a missionary and his grave there in Uganda. McKay was a Scot who went preaching a crucified, risen, glorified, returning Savior to the people in Uganda, and particularly Kampala. He was often left alone. The sole survivor once more of all the mission force. Uh, He was left alone for 11 months in Uganda. And this was his position. His position was extremely uncomfortable and disquieting. And yet, where did he find his comfort, his peace, his rest? The fulfillment of his mission was found trusting in Christ for all things. 
When our hearts are discomforted, God tells us those three things that we need to know in order to to give us comfort, to remind us that we ought to be people who are comforted. That He is going to get us to our safe place. And not only is, is He going to get us there, He's going to stay with us as He gets us there. And He's going to turn those troubles, those trials and tribulations into triumphs. So that in all things, He may be glorified. God, our Father, may be glorified through Jesus Christ who gives us strength for He is the way, the truth, and our life. Heavenly Father, we do pray that in the midst of all the discomfort that is so prevalent in the world today, we would be, especially of all people, People who are comforted. And people who can comfort those who have not found that place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. Father, draw us near to your heart through this reminder that Jesus is the way the truth, and our life. We pray in His name. Amen.